Well, if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to continue in a series called Spirit-Led Living. And you can turn to two passages, Romans chapter 8 and Luke chapter 4. Or you can go to the Bible app and you can launch uh, uh, the notes. They're right there. You can go to calvary.online and click on today's message. They'll pull up. Or you can go to the live event on the, Bi the Bible app. And you can follow along right there and add your notes on your, uh, your device if you like. Well, we're, we're in a series called Spirit-Led Living. Last week, uh, Pastor Luke shared Spirit-Led Worship. And the week before, I talked about uh, a message called Led to the Desert. And that, that message was all about Philip and how Philip went to an obscure place and found his destiny. Uh, God led him to the desert, and he, he has a, a miraculous encounter with a, a, a government official from Ethiopia, leads him to the Lord. It's a powerful encounter, and he found destiny in the desert. Now, uh, if you didn't get to hear that message, go to calvary.online, uh, listen to that message. I believe it'll be uh, uh, life-transforming. But that was actually part one of led to the desert. Today is led to the desert part two. And uh, we followed uh, Philip two weeks ago, and today we're going to follow Jesus into the desert. And uh, the, the very key thing to understand as an overarching idea for this whole series is this. The marking difference of a Christian to everyone else is one thing. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit is what sets Christians apart from everyone else. And it's not just his abiding presence, but it is also his presence leading us and guiding us because Romans 8:14 says for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are the sons of God that means there should be a daily interaction of the spirit leading us into places of liberty into places of ministry into places of fruitfulness that the spirit of God is taking the lead in our life this is the mark of a believer. Moses said it in the Old Testament. Uh, he says, God, if you don't go with us, if your presence is with us, what will distinguish us from any other nation? And I, I, I want to uh, just uh, make this point to you today is what sets believers apart is God's presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. That is what sets us apart. And so if that is the distinguishing mark of the work of God in our life, then we need to learn how to function and flow with his leadership in our lives. And so that's why we've been talking a lot about becoming people who are led by the Spirit of God. So if you're following along in your Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And this is a little bit of a familiar story uh, for, for those who have been reading the scriptures. But we're going to look at it in a little fresh light and see what the Holy Spirit would speak to us through it. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says this. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the dev de devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. How many of you know you would be hungry too? 40 days. 
And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, that, uh, every word of God. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, this is a, a fascinating passage which, which has so many insights. I would encourage you personally that this week that you would go back to this passage of Scripture and meditate on it this week and see the additional insights that God may give to you that we can learn from this experience. But uh, I, I want you to understand something from the onset is simply this. This spirit-led desert experience is not for destruction, but for development. Philip is led by the Spirit into the desert to meet destiny. Jesus goes into the desert in a moment of development. I believe as an example to us of the process that you and I need to learn to walk in. Now, notice... It was, it was led by the Spirit into a desert. Now, you and I, we don't really think about God leading us to a desert, but that's what happened. He was led to go and fast and pray and seek God. Now, we don't have much insight into those 40 days, only what happens at the end of the 40 days. But when Jesus was fasting, he was praying, and he was communing with God. He's put away everything. It had to be one of the greatest times of intimacy with his father that he experienced as the son of man. He experienced it, and he's fasting, and he's praying, and it's a time of great intimacy in the desert. I want you to get this in your heart that you and I may be led by God into desert experiences, not because we're not intimate with God, but because our, our intimacy with God is going to lead us to development so God can use us. So if you find yourself in a desert, you find yourself in a place where uh, you, you feel like, man, I have, I have nothing else to turn to. I don't know where to turn. I only know to turn to God. You're in a good place. You're in a really good position. 
You say, I, I, I don't feel like, I, I was like, why would God lead me here? He's leading you here because he wants to do a deep work in your life and through your life. So let's look closely at this desert and what the desert can develop in our lives. First, the desert develops our true identity. It doesn't give us our identity. It develops our identity. Verse 3 Notice what the devil said. He says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Verse 9 says, then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, um, it would have been enough for Satan to come to Jesus after 40 days of, of prayer and fasting uh, to just come, he's seeking God, he's got intimacy with God, it would have been enough for Satan to just say, hey, why don't you ask God to turn that bread into stone? Now, I, I, I have to admit that if I had been fasting 40 days, I would have wanted to turn the desert into a Panera bread at that moment, okay? <laughs> there would have been baguettes everywhere, okay? <laughs> but... But Jesus is greater. He's greater. But what does Satan come after? He comes and he says, if you are the son of God. Why does he come after Jesus this way? Here's why. Write this down. Everything in the kingdom flows out of identity. Everything in the kingdom of God flows out of identity. You see, just days before, we have the baptism of Jesus. And I want you to notice this. Luke 3, 21 says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. He has just heard a voice from, from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. And what does the, is the first thing Satan comes and says? He says, if you're the son. He is always trying to get us to question who we are before God. He always wants to get us to question that. And being certain of who you are before God is imperative to answering your calling. Those who do not know who they are in Christ before God, they're, they're not likely to move forward. Maybe we've made agreements with other names and other titles. We've listened to Satan's voice as he tears at our identity in order to remove our confidence that God will do as he has said he will do for us. So you see, if he can get you thinking that, that you have a, a slave master, slave relationship with God, you're not sure that a slave master is ever gonna answer a prayer, ever gonna be there for you. Why? Because he's only got his agenda. There's not a real uh, family relationship there. Satan Satan will always try to get you to question the nature of your relationship with God. Why? Because everything flows out of identity in the kingdom. 
He wants to keep us from believing that God will do it for us. We're pretty good. We're getting a little better in the church at believing that God will do things for other people. We're kind of like, okay, well, they, they've kind of got it together, you know. I don't know why, but, you know, I kind of picture them walking around their house, you know. They just float around, you know. And, you know, that's why God answers their prayers. They never get angry. They never raise their voice. They never tell people number one on the road when someone cuts them off. You shouldn't do that, especially not wearing a Calvary shirt. Amen. Amen. The devil knows how to tempt you, get you out of believing who you are supposed to be. We believe, we, we, we really believe God will do it for somebody else, but not for us. And that's what Satan comes to say. It, it gives us that, that orphan type spirit because an orphan, if you feel like you're an orphan before God, you never really believe that he's going to be there for you. But I, I just come here to tell you that when you go into the desert, you don't abandon what God has said to you. You go carrying what God has spoken over you. You go carrying those things which God has declared over you. I think the problem is, is more of us, especially in the South, we're more familiar with things that other people have said to us rather than what God has said to us. You know, and I don't know why I always want to say this in a real Southern voice. I kind of think my voice is a little bit Southern, but uh, I think it's got to get, you got to get real Southern. You kind of got to go, you got to go to LA to say this properly, lower Alabama. And um, <laughs> you say, religious people, good people. They say, well, brother, we're just all sinners. We're just all sinners. And I'm like, you got to say it that way. You gotta change the vowels and mix up consonants in your mouth and garble them up. Act like you're chewing something while you're saying it. We're all just sinners. And um, and and there's a there's a level of truth to that, right? That none of us walk in perfection like Jesus did. We know that. And that that and we should carry that humility before God. But do you know that we don't relate to God? as sinners. We actually relate to God as sons and daughters. That's, when Jesus comes to pray, when he says, and his disciples say, teach us how to pray. The first thing he says revolutionizes the whole religious world. He says, our father. I, I think they had a hard time hearing everything else because no one had said anything about talking to God as father. He says, our father. It's like they, can't, they couldn't hear anything else. Father? Wait. Father? That means that that's how I'm supposed to relate to him. And I want you to, I want you to hear these words spoken over you this morning as the words Jesus heard in the baptism waters of the Jordan. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Say it out loud. Say, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. 
If you've believed in Jesus Christ, if you've made him the Lord of your life, he says, listen, this wasn't the idea of a man and a woman coming together in marriage and making a family. This was something that was birthed in the heart of God, that when you believed, he would make you his child and make you his son or daughter. And we need to get that in our spirits. We need to get it that when he leads us to the desert, I'm not, I'm not abandoning what he has said over me. I'm actually forging my identity in him. I'm growing stronger in my sonship. I'm growing stronger in my relationship with God as father. I'm a child of God. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. I love this. And that is what we are. Come on. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Say it again. I'm a child of God. And that is what we are. Let's not, let's not make agreements with Satan comes and whispers in our ear. If you're a son, if you're a daughter. No, we say, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. We live out of that identity. We live out of sonship. That doesn't exempt us from the fear of the Lord. That doesn't exempt us from walking humbly before God. That doesn't exempt those things. However, in order to move forward in the kingdom, we carry all of those other things in light of our relationship to God as our Father. We must develop a humble confidence in who God says we are. And you know where that's developed? In the desert. Where it's you and God and the enemy trying to stop you. Second area that the, the desert develops is our dependence on God's word. If you ever go into a desert experience, you'll, you'll, you'll find the value of these 66 books. If you're ever led by the Spirit into a place that is beyond you, you will be thankful to have words that originate beyond you. I love what Jesus does in verse 4. He says, Jesus answered Satan and said, it is written. In verse 8, he said, get behind me, Satan, it's written. Verse 12, Jesus answered and said, it has been said. Each time Satan tempted Christ, it was the word of God that he used as a weapon. We've got to have the word implanted Meekly, we got to receive it with meekness, meekness and say, God, I want it implanted in me so that when I'm in that season of testing, what comes out is the word rightly divided. Ephesians 6.10, I'm just going to read you this passage. There's been many sermons on it here at Calvary and around the world. But I believe that there's an overwhelming effect when you actually see it in light of, of using it 
for development in the, in the desert experience. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How many of you know that strength and power are your portion? By the way, this is the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't saying, hey, guys, if you'd like to, maybe, if you feel up to it, could you please be a little stronger? Could you please just maybe, maybe increase a little bit in the power that God makes available? No, no, no. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your uh, having girded your waist with truth, what is word? What is, the, what is the truth? The truth is God's word, and the truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, where is righteousness revealed? It's revealed through Jesus in his word. And having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How will you ever know what the gospel is to put on your feet apart from his word? Above all, take the shield of faith. How do you build faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We don't have much of a shield apart from the word. And it says, which is able to quench. All. You get into a desert and the arrows are flying. There is one thing that you're going to wish you, you had in that hour. That is faith that has been increased that could quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17, it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Listen, when, when you get into this desert hour, God wants to teach us total dependence on his word. The more you familiarize yourself with God's word, you can actually, God, God just starts to insert you into different situations. People, people start to turn to you and they're looking for answers. And they say, hey, hey, I'm facing this. How would you, how, how, how would you handle this situation? How, how would you respond in this moment? You know, anytime when, when somebody comes in a moment of crisis and they say, hey, pastor, I really need your help in this situation, I, I got I to gotta tell you, I'm not relying on, on some counseling trick in that moment. Here's what, here's what happens. I'm going to reveal all the secrets, okay? There, here's the secret. Someone comes and says, what should I do? I'm going to go back to this. I'm going to go back to God's word. And they're going to ask a question in the Rolodex of scriptures that I've just been spending time with God. The Rolodex in my mind is going to go off and I'm going to be like, oh, well, this is what God's word says to do. Maybe we should do that. Can I, can I say to you that when you get into the desert, you learn there is victory in God's word. There is victory in doing things God's way. 
2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Which thoughts? Every thought. Which argument? Satan comes with arguments. What did Jesus do? He elevated the word and every argument he encountered in the desert was cast down. Every high thing that was trying to exalt itself. Listen, when, when there are situations that arise in your life, you ought to have a moment when the word rises up. What's the word of God say in this moment? And cling to that. Many of us in the church for years have been uh, singing the song Amazing Grace, which is written by a man named uh, John Newton. John Newton, the, the backstory is, is that he was a captain of slave ships. And he, he carried slaves over a period of time, but he had two deep encounters with God on those boats. And God changed his life on those, on those boats. So much so that he would leave that trade and become an Anglican priest. And God radically changed his life. And then in the end of his life, he fought to expose the terrors of the slave trade and, and, and fought to abolish slavery and inspired men like William Wilberforce to stay in government so that they could end slavery in their lifetime. And that's what he did. Now, we know him because he penned the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. But John Newton not only was a beautiful hymn writer, but he also wrote poetry. And the reason why he had such revelation about the grace of God, it's because he had a revelation about the word of God. And he... he pen these words so beautifully in a, in a poem titled Precious Bible, What a Treasure. It says this, Precious Bible, what a treasure does the word of God afford? All I want for life or pleasure, food and medicine, shield and sword. Let the world account me poor. Having this, I need no more. Food to which the world's a stranger, here my hungry soul enjoys. Of excess there is no danger, though it feels, it never cloys. On a dying Christ I feed, he is meat and drink indeed. When my faith is faint and sickly, or when Satan wounds my mind, cordials to revive me quickly, healing medicines here I find. To the promises I flee, each affords me a remedy. In the hour of dark temptation, Satan cannot make me yield, for the word of consolation is to me a mighty shield. While the scripture truths are sure, from his malice, I'm secure. Vain his threats to overcome me when I take the spirit's sword. Then with ease, I drive him from me. Satan trembles at the word. Tis a sword for conquest made. Keen the edge and strong the blade. Shall I envy then the miser doting on his golden store? Sure, I am or should be wiser. 
I am rich, tis he is poor. Jesus gives me in his word food and medicine, shield and sword. Man, that is powerful. Here's what John Newton got a revelation of. God's word is everything to us. God's word is everything to us. It is, it is wealth beyond this world's knowing. It's everything. And we learn a holy dependence upon God's word in the desert. Thirdly, the desert develops our confidence in victory. Our confidence in victory. As I was studying this passage, this verse leapt out at me. Verse 13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Uh, let, me, let me make this clear what the revelation was to me. Jesus defeated every temptation. He defeated every temptation. We know that Jesus lived in this world without sin. And I've gotten the good news for you. For those of you who have relationship with God, the victory that is in Christ is yours. He defeated every temptation. And Satan always comes to us in three areas. And he came to Christ this way. And we learn this in 1 John. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This sums up the, the angle that Satan comes to us with. And Jesus faced all of these in the desert. In verse 3, he says, turn these stones to bread. What is that? The lust of the flesh. He's been fasting 40 days. And the temptation that Satan comes with is actually natural. He's hungry. You would be too. Some of you don't even like me talking about bread so close to noon. <laughs> your growls are louder than your amens. <laughs> and so Satan comes to tempt him with something natural. It's natural for the flesh to want to be fed. It's natural for the flesh to want to be nourished. It's not natural for, for him to walk in the flesh to get something the flesh needs. It's not, it's not for him to overstep the bounds of what God has said to him. And that's what he would have been doing. And I, I, I want to help all of those who are having issues in the flesh there is victory over sins of the flesh. There is victory over those things which your body screams for. Some of you, it's simple stuff. It's like sugar. Your body screams for sugar. There's even victory over that. There's all kinds of things. Your body screams for comfort. Ah! That's what it sounds like. You can't hear it. Everybody around you can. 
screamed for comfort. That's why the whole idea of going into 40 days of of prayer and fasting in a desert doesn't sound good to the flesh. But you know what it is? It's so good for the spirit. And Jesus got victory over the flesh. Why? Because he wanted to give us the right to be victorious in the flesh. We do not have to live under the thumb of what this flesh tells us to do. What do we do? We bridle it. Some of us have misread the scriptures when the Apostle Paul said, I buffet my body. Some of us think we buffet our bodies. No. <laughs> we make these bodies our slaves. We, we make them our slaves. And the victory to do that is found in Christ. So he overcame the lust of the flesh. Verse 5, the devil takes him up on a high mountain. And notice these words. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. What is this? This is the lust of the eyes. It's the strong desire for things. And listen, in an affluent culture, this is always on us. The next greatest vehicle, the next better house, the next thing that you look at your neighbor and you're like, well, if my neighbor's doing it, I think I could do it. You know, and all of a sudden we start to get seduced by the lust of the eyes. Now, I'm not against you having nice things. I'm, I'm, I'm not against you owning things. I'm against things owning you. Amen. And God is too. If you can hold whatever God gives to you with an open hand, I believe he'll let you steward it for the kingdom's sake. But here, here he comes with the lust of the eyes. What does Jesus do? Jesus shows us there's victory over that. You don't have to live driven by what the next person does or what the next great thing is. I can live in complete contentment and godly satisfaction because of the victory that God brings through Christ. Verse 9 says, Then Satan brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. What is this? This is the pride of life. This is the pride of life. You say, how is that? Here's how. Here's how. Satan was trying to pervert scripture to get Jesus to do something so it would make God do something. That is reverse of how it works in the kingdom. Jesus says later on, I only say what I hear my father saying, and I only do what I see my father doing. If the father wasn't jumping off the pinnacle, what he was saying is, let's reverse this role, get Jesus into pride, and then he'll fall from his calling. Listen, what you and I need to do is say, Jesus, you got victory over pride right here. So what can I have? I can have victory over pride. I can walk in humility. Many times what we say is, man, I just have a pride problem. Well, yes, I can understand that if we're, we're continuing to agree with pride, that's a problem. But really what we have is a submission problem. Is that we don't want to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And if we would just humble ourselves, we, we found out that sometimes there are deserts that we cause. We found that out on Wednesday. Jonah, he found himself in a storm and found a three-day cruise. He got the only room on the boat. <laughs> that was a storm of his own causing, a desert of his own, uh, uh, you know, of his own doing. I'm not talking about that kind of desert. 
And we probably have those in our lives from time to time because we do what we want to do. What do we do? We, we've succumbed to the pride of life. But when we humble ourselves to God and we say, God, what do you want to, what do, you want to do in, 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 in and through my life? Then we gain victory over the pride of life. Jesus overcame all these victoriously. And there is freedom and victory in Jesus. When you go into a desert led there by God, you are going to grow in confidence that there is victory in Christ. That's why we do Freedom Essentials and Freedom Encounter. It's because we want to get people before God. We want to get people before Jesus. Freedom has a name. His name is Jesus. And if you can ever hear what God is saying to you, you're on your pathway to victory. Many of us, we can hear our circumstances. We can hear the enemy, but we have a hard time hearing God's word. So what, what do we do? We're saying, hey, we're going to come together and we're going to learn how to hear God in essentials. And we're going to hear him like never before. And we're going to identify the voice of God because I know if I hear him, I'm on my way to liberty. I'm on my way to freedom. I'm on my way to the calling that he has for me. And then when we expose what the enemy always does in people's lives and we see wait a minute I'm maybe I'm still hanging on to some of that 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 kind of thing and we start to let that go there is a tremendous liberty that comes that's why every single person needs to come to essentials and you need to come to the encounter weekend why because it is setting time aside to encounter Jesus and to grow in the victory he has already won Yeah, amen. You know, I, uh, I feel like, you know, many people kind of get so attached to who they were before Christ that they kind of hold those labels after Christ. And, you know, even the people who uh, were pinning the, the titles in our Bible, we tend to label people by what they were instead of what they became. Like we know the woman with the issue of blood, not the woman who was miraculously healed. We know the guy who had a legion of demons, not the evangelist who went and led revival in 10 cities. We know the disciple named Thomas who Now, we know him as Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. We don't know him as the evangelist who led revival in all of modern-day India. That's where, that's where he went. We don't know. We know John Mark is the one who, who uh, abandoned the apostle Paul at one point, and, and Barnabas had to take him, and there was a real split. And we're like, oh, wow, look at the split. But we don't look at the end of his life where he takes the gospel south, and he goes and begins to preach in northern Africa unhindered. There was revival for hundreds of years through his ministry what do we what do we do we're so attached to the past and we keep hanging on to the labels of the past that we don't walk in the victory that is now in Christ when you get into the desert it's a redefining moment where you say man this is my identity as a child of God this is who I am and the word of God works 
And then we become confident in the victory that's in Christ. And we, we're not who we used to be. We're sons and daughters made for this moment, sent by God into this time, into this region for his purposes, to reach out and, and find him even though he's not far from us and share that light with this whole region. That's why we're here. And there is victory. And the desert leads us to that place of victory. 1 John 5, 3 says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That means they're not heavy. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Do you hear that? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Here's what you learn when you're led by the Spirit, that I've become a son or a daughter of God and I overcome the world. And what did we just learn? That the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that is the world. And what do we overcome in Christ? All of it. We have the victory in Christ. And he says, they're not burdensome. It means they're not heavy. My youngest son, Asher, this weekend, he was, uh, I was, I don't know, I was fixing something to eat. And he was right beside me. And he reached up and he, uh, he, he grabbed my bicep. Now, all men, you know what you do when somebody grabs your bicep. All the women know what they do. I grab your bicep, you flex a little bit, right? <laughs> grab your arm, you're doing something else, you're still going to flex. And, uh, uh, and my son says, hey, Dad, didn't that used to be bigger? <laughs> I said, yes, son, it did. Yes, that it did. It's been a long time. I say, you, you know, since I lifted weights, but, uh, you know, with your encouragement, maybe I'll do that again. And uh, I said, but when we, when we enter into resistance and when we, when we begin to lift, we can, we can grow those muscles. And I couldn't help but think that, you know, many times when we think about victory in Christ, we don't think that victory in Christ actually happens within the presence of opposition or resistance. And what is God doing in that moment? He is deepening our capacity to carry victory to other people. One of my favorite verses to quote to help build faith in your life that you don't have to live defeated even if you're in the midst of a desert where you feel like the enemy is coming at, 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 at every side. It's Romans chapter 6. This is what it says. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Do you hear that? Church, do you hear that? 
sin shall not have dominion over you. If you're a son or a daughter of God, if you're led by the Spirit of God, sin does not have to dominate you. Don't give heed to the voice of the devil that says you're just too weak to live in victory. No, no, no. I'm under grace. I'm under a favor I didn't earn and could never earn. It's undeserved favor. It came from God as a gift through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so now all of that sin, all of that bondage, it will not have dominion over me. Many times we quote all of the ones that speak, that speak to our position before God apart from Christ. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes. But you know, God is saying to us, listen, but in Christ, you're a redeemed heir, a redeemed son or a daughter. And that sin you struggled with before Christ, there's victory over that sin in Christ. Jesus was led into the spirit, uh, into the desert, pardon me, filled with the spirit. But he came out of the desert in the power of the spirit. Listen, the struggle that you're going through today as you're pursuing God it is going to deepen our capacity to liberate others through Christ. That's what the fight has been about.